This is an AMI podcast. Describe your culinary style in two words. Punk rock. Mary Mammoliti is cooking things up. I really do love to cook. It's a way of taking care of people. Contrary to Seinfeld, soup can be a meal. Now I'm losing the vision in my left eye, and making pizzas has become a real challenge, but I still love it. I noticed that with cooking, whenever there's food involved, whether we have sight or not, if you have that passion for it, it all turns out the same. Kitchen Confession. New episodes every second Wednesday. Download this AMI podcast wherever you listen. I'm Jovita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. This year has turned out very differently from what we had anticipated. I, like many others, transitioned to remote work. I'm lucky. With staggering job losses across the country, as a person with a disability, I'm grateful to remain working. I spent over half a decade on social assistance, and I was scraping by. So I know that for people with disabilities on fixed incomes, this pandemic has not been easy. And I'm still trying to get used to our new touchless world. Despite all the challenges, the disability community has shown remarkable resilience, creativity, and unity. I feel proud of all of us for what we've managed to accomplish. Sometimes just showing up is enough. Today, we look back on 2020. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI Audio. My name is Joitha Gupta and I'm the host of the program and boy, it's what a year it's been. It's been the best of years and the worst of years in a lot of ways. Even as we think about the challenges, the opportunities, the many ways in which all of our lives have changed and as we hunger in for maybe another six to eight months of working remotely, practicing social distancing, waiting for a vaccine to roll out, It's as good an opportunity as any to take some time to reflect on the year that was. In the second half of the program, I'll be speaking to Accessible Media Inc.'s or AMI's president and CEO, Dave Arrington. In other words, my boss. (laughs) And Dave and I will be talking about some of the changes that took place at AMI so that we could continue to bring programming to you. But first, for a lot of us, who are visually impaired, this has been a tough year. It's hard to get around when you can't touch surfaces or get sighted guide assistance or even have technological barriers to accessing services online, the list goes on. But there've also been remarkable moves where people have been so creative organizing online conferences and online bingo, even the odd play has been put on virtually. So with all of that said, I thought it might make sense to once again get caught up with the president and CEO, John Rafferty from the CNIB, to find out about some of their programs and services in the last year, what evolutions have taken place, and what John Rafferty believes will stay the same or change in the year to come. John Rafferty, welcome to The Pulse. How are you? I am well, thank you. How are you? Oh, pretty good. I mean, it's hard to believe. I think we spoke to each other back in May now, uh, and it's already December, so it's been about six to eight months. Um, how are yes. things at the CNIB? Everyone still working from home? Uh, yes, uh, we we've, uh, we we did resume some kind of by appointment uh, in-person working 
in September, October, when things looked like they were opening up a bit. But uh, mm. but we've continued with all the virtual programs and, and now, um, you know, pretty exclusively virtual across the country. Um, still got a few few pockets in Atlantic where we can do individual appointments. Mm. And just remind us, what sort of programming is offered virtually? So the virtual programs are really quite comprehensive. There's a, a, a large offering on a weekly basis. Uh, a lot of them are technology-driven uh, programs, but there's a, a lot of social uh, programs. There's one-on-one uh, virtual vision-made programs. Um, it's all about keeping people connected, keeping people informed, um, leveraging people's passions. There's uh, virtual cooking programs. There's virtual exercise programs. Uh, there's virtual interest groups around things like dog or uh, kids and crafts, uh, etc. So, so hundreds and hundreds of them. I mean, it, it's been quite something. And uh, we really believe that the vast majority of this virtual work is going to continue well past the pandemic. Mm, I don't doubt that for an instant. What about situations where it might have been a bit harder to do things virtually? I'm thinking about orientation and mobility. If someone did need that for whatever reason, or even low vision aid assessments, you know, how do you actually know what you need if you aren't able to physically try out a magnifier? How are we getting around problems like that? Yeah, so uh, so vision loss rehab is is done by you know the work done by Vision Loss Rehabilitation Canada. We still are doing in-person essential work right across the country, uh, obviously with all the PPE protocols in mm-hmm. place. Um, so certainly in the March through May period, the number of referrals was significantly down. Uh, but on a year year on year comparison, up until a couple of weeks ago, we were we were receiving the same levels of volume for um, in, in-home independent living assessments as well as in-community um, mobility training um, for people. Um, we do blend it with some virtual uh, work. Mm-hmm. So there are some things, you know, using Soundscape, using, you know, seeing AI, using various apps that we can do remotely with people. Um, and we also did uh, for the rehabilitation work just uh, distribute almost 2,000 iPads uh, to people across the country um, focused on on our children and youth, but also a number of employment groups, a number of seniors groups. Um, so for those people who don't have technology to uh, to provide them with platforms for us to be able to provide service. And that's become such a big issue now as well. If you don't have an iPad or an iPhone, you are far more cut off than you would have been even six months ago. I remember we talked about the Phone It Forward program and other ways in which we can all give back some technology that we're not using. Are are some of those programs still happening? They certainly are. And we've had some some amazing corporate support from uh, Bank of Montreal with uh, almost 3,000 iPads that they provided us. Canadian Tire has now got a corporate program in place. We just received mm-hmm. 700 very, very new-looking um, iPhones from the Bank of Canada. Um, so uh, we're still getting individual donations coming in, which is fantastic. Uh, but really, the the meat of the program is going to is going to take place through these these fantastic corporate partnerships, where mm-hmm. where we're getting devices in in the hundreds and thousands um, and getting them out to people. That's excellent. And with a lot of companies, they have far more leverage. It's great that individuals are stepping up to the plate. Uh, Tell me a little bit about um, the guide dog program. It's still in early days, um, but I remember seeing those guide dogs the day the program was launched. They're so cute. Uh, How are you managing with that program? I I can't imagine that that is still happening or is it happening, but in a reduced capacity? 
Well, the, the guide dogs, uh, the guide dog program is an essential service, the provision of a guide dog. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the guide dog, guide dogs in Canada generally is one of the biggest uh, areas of impact because of COVID that, that there is. Uh, almost 80% of Canadians who have a guide dog get their guide dog from a school in the US. And of course, the borders have been closed since March. Mm-hmm. We as a program have seen uh, uh, almost a 500% increase in the number of applications for people wanting a guide dog. Um, so we've got a crisis uh, of guide dog supply, uh, not to speak of these amazing animals as part of the supply chain, but in Canada, we were completely dependent on the US. So um, it, it really has had a step change. Uh, and at the same time, we've had our own COVID impacts on our supply of puppies and the ability to, to train them. Um, so while we were closed for the, you know, the first six, six seven weeks of, of the initial shutdown from March till, uh, till the May timeframe, uh, the program has been running since with all precautions in place. Um, but uh, the demand has gone through the roof. So we, we're urging Canadians with a new campaign that's going to take place just after Christmas um, mm. to, uh, to help us grow the number of guide dogs coming from Canadian schools. Oh, that's amazing. And we'll talk about 2021 in just a minute. But one of the things that occurred to me just as we were talking is the the impact of the pandemic on Canadians who might need mm-hmm. essential and urgent eye care. I don't necessarily count myself amongst them because my eye condition, such as it is, is quite stable. But there are people for whom if they don't regularly see um, an eye doctor or an ophthalmologist or something, they're probably going to lose a lot of vision just for not having regular access to eye care and, uh, and general health care. So how are we getting around that? So, well, I would hate to say that we're, we're not. I mean, I think in various pockets in the country, everyone's doing their best to, to maintain uh, treatments for macular degeneration and glaucoma, uh, but we're mm-hmm. seeing growing wait times. Um, uh, we're seeing people reluctant to go into clinical settings to get appointments, uh, to, to get treatments. You know, the average age for people with, uh, with macular degeneration is, you know, mid-80s, uh, which is, mm-hmm. you know, one of the highest risk profiles for COVID. Um, so people are falling behind uh, for sure, um, uh, and and cataract surgeries uh, have, have been significantly delayed. And and while you know the, the the vision loss that's caused by cataracts is you know is quite correctable with cataract surgery, people having to wait significantly longer means that they're going to lose significantly more vision and, and need temporary rehabilitation assistance in order to be able to be safe and independent in their home. Um, so there's well, exactly. significant issues on healthcare at large, whatever it is. There's, there's this, you know, here's statistics about, you know, attendance of, of people to for regular appointments for whatever their, their condition, whether it's a, a, an eye disease or other types of comorbidities that go with that. So it's a problem and it's it's rampant across all all areas and it's going to take quite some time before we, we truly recover the other health impacts that have come as a result of COVID. One of the findings from a survey, and that came out six months ago, and I think at the time I read it, you probably read it too, it was the Council of um, Blind Canadians survey, the CCB survey that talked about how mm-hmm. for a lot of Canadians who are blind or partially sighted, mental health concerns were a huge challenge. Isolation was a huge challenge. How um, are we responding to those challenges through the CNIB and all of their programming? So we reached out both within Vision Loss Rehab, reached out uh, one-on-one with uh, 15, to 15,000 Canadians, 
uh, CNIB uh, similarly reached out to, to Canadians, I think a little over 12,000 Canadians. Uh, we launched a virtual VisionMate program. We, we have spoken to more Canadians who are blind and partially sighted and asked, how can we help? How can we help support you than, mm -hmm. than we have in the last number of years combined? So um, we do know that levels of isolation, levels of concern um, that feed into you know, a person's uh, uh, mental health have been significantly impacted. And, and even when, when people are out and about uh, who are blind or partially sighted, all of the changes to the physical environment that they navigate have uh, all of these crazy visual signages that tell people which direction to go and which door is in and which door is out is, has layered on all kinds of additional stresses to daily life. Uh, for people who are blind or partially sighted. And I know I'm biased, as many of the AMI audience are, but, you know, the, the individuals uh, from, from our community have been, uh, you know, I would think the most impacted by uh, what COVID has done to changes in daily society. So um, significant concern. We, we're, we're doing more than we have in the past as a result and, and reaching out to people more frequently. Um, but there's still, you know, more that needs to be done, that's for sure. Well, exactly. There's no end to the amount of support that we can provide. Uh, speaking of providing support for Canadians, uh, I know that the federal government has made a number of announcements relating to Canadians with disabilities. Fill us in, if you can, about some of the discussions you've had with uh, not just the federal government, but perhaps with provincial governments as well. Well, you know, we've uh, been very pleased with the level of ongoing engagement that you know i've had with a number of federal ministers as well as the provincial level with provincial ministers of education and health mm -hmm. um uh, to to help provide perspectives and advice that that is information that we are getting directly from the community and forwarding on and, and making sure is being heard by decision makers um and i do think that they are very conscious of of the need uh, and even within the, the throne speech the need to call out canadians with disabilities as needing to have their own lens on how we're remedying issues around healthcare issues around the built environment how we build the economy back stronger in a way that ensures it doesn't layer uh, exclusion for, for individuals with disabilities but it actually does it with a more inclusive lens it's a it's a big ship to turn um you know, I think that, uh, that I'm encouraged by the fact that they seem to be actively listening, both at a number of provincial jurisdictions and, and at the federal level. You know, the proof is always in, in what comes out of policies and new regulations. I think that we were anticipating quite a bit of momentum on Bill C-81 prior to the mm -hmm. pandemic that, that had been stalled for a while. I know that we're starting to have conversations again now about the implementation of regulations coming out of Bill C-81. Um, I participated on something around affordability of technology um, on a uh, House Commons Committee. Uh, we were on another one around transportation. So, so activity starting to pick up again, uh, which is encouraging. We've got about two minutes left, but I think that is enough time for us to just briefly chat about some of the ongoing campaigns that you've got and some of the 2021 initiatives that you mentioned earlier, a program to encourage uh, more Canadian guide dogs and Canadian puppies. What are some of the other programs you're planning to launch in 2021? So we're, we're doing a study at the moment on physical spaces and, and how to reintroduce 
uh, in-person programming on a, in a more mobile way than just dedicated bricks and mortar in, in not enough communities in the country. So that's an exciting mm-hmm. kind of property relating, uh, related piece. Um, we're very, very much looking forward to being able to get back to some in-person group programming in the many hubs that we have across the country. Um, more partnerships coming through Phone It Forward to, to distribute even more technology to Canadians. Um, and, and we need to solve the, uh, the guide dog crisis that exists right now. And hopefully at some point next year, the borders will open and, and the crisis will maybe soften a little bit. But I, I think it's also kind of shaken a lot of people to the core. And, and I think this idea of not having to go to America to get a guide dog is something that uh, I think we need to fix that supply chain long term. Mm-hmm. And hopefully people will think a little bit more about some of the the options we do have in Canada, as long as we can meet the supply uh, and demand sort of equations. Uh, John Rafferty, it's been really good to chat with you. Um, it's hard to believe that 15 oh. minutes have just flown by like that. But thank you very much for joining us. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for having me. And thank you to, uh, to everyone listening and uh, wish everyone a, a great holiday season, however you celebrate it. Thank you. Happy holidays and stay safe. Thank you. That was John Rafferty, President and CEO of the CNIB Foundation. We are now joined by David Errington, who is the President of Accessible Media Inc., or AMI. David Errington, welcome to The Pulse. It's really great to have you on the program. It's a pleasure to be here. Long time no speak. (laughs) I know. You probably haven't seen anyone in quite a while. David, in this business, we like to say that the show must go on, and indeed, pandemic or not, AMI-audio and AMI-TV, we've still been putting out content, but a lot of people may not realize uh, how much of a pivot we had to make as an organization. Can you pull back the curtain a little bit and give us a sense of how we had to adjust operations in response to the pandemic in 2020? Sure. So our our first priority was really the safety of our employees. Um, That was priority number one. And to do that, we kind of had to really pivot to work remotely. So fortunately, we had a lot of that in place already. We had the software in place for Microsoft Teams. Um, majority of our staff had a laptop, and it allowed us to fully migrate everybody remotely. So by the middle of March, when the pandemic was hitting, we had everybody working remotely. The sad part of that was we had to kind of shut down some of our internal productions and our commission programming productions for a short while. Uh, and then mm-hmm. through technology and wonderful things that uh, work most of the time. Uh, We were able to get our live shows up and running again. Um, And then recently with uh, some protocols in place and some procedures in place and some safety measures in place, we've been able to get our commission programs up and running again as well. So our number one priority was the safety of all of our employees. And and to date, uh, knock on wood, we haven't had any uh, issues of COVID within our organization. Um, and we like to think that we, we had some sort of role to play in that and being a responsible employee and, and, and having everybody work remotely and remain in their bubble. But at the same mm-hmm. time, we were able to uh, continue with the wonderful content that we provide on a daily basis, which is a, a minor blip, but uh, we figured it out through some great engineering on behalf of our staff, some great production by our producers and our talent. Well, that's amazing to hear. And, you know, it's always remarkable when we come away from a situation like this thinking we haven't really had any outbreaks in the office or any particularly horrible things to happen to us. Um, Tell me a little bit about the concerns that we hear about in a lot of workplaces where employees talk about feeling overwhelmed, feeling like they're doing far more work, feeling cut off and isolated. Uh, David, you know, you're our illustrious leader. (laughs) How do you respond to some of these concerns that you may or may not have heard from employees? How are we making sure that everyone stays connected at AMI? 
Well, we've done a few things. We, we've actually, uh, we've had, I think we're on our third survey now. So we've been asking questions to our staff about well, what, how they're feeling with the, the workload and how they're doing with remote work and, and, and hearing and, and asking for their feedback and responding to that. So the first thing we do is we ask you how you're doing. Like, what, what can we do to make things better for you? So we've done that. Uh, we've got some feedback. And, and there are some issues. You know, some people are feeling very isolated. They may not have a, a big family to be around. They may be on their own. And some people are confined into small apartments and don't have larger homes to kind of roam about in. So there's lots of those issues. So we provided lots of uh, mental health tips that we continue to push out to our staff. Uh, we did things like uh, online cocktails with staff. We encourage um, to walk away from your computer at certain times of the day and kind of book off time where you're not going to be online. Um, so we, we did a lot of research and a lot of, you know, kind of tips and things to make what working from home more successful for some people. But for some people, you know, they prefer to be in the office and, the, and, and kind of working with others and, and, and kind of the camaraderie of that as compared to being home. And hopefully in the future we'll get to that. But it has been a struggle for some of us. And we've, we've done our best to, to give them tips and, and to help them get through this. But uh, And sometimes it's just a matter of calling someone and saying, hey, are you okay? Is there something you need or is there something I can help you with? So kind of being open-minded and, and, and listening and then kind of reacting and making sure that we're available for our staff. One of the things that I've valued a lot, having worked at AMI, but even before that as a listener, is our focus on disability issues. And I know it's kind of an obvious thing to say, well, it's like, duh, of course, it's Accessible Media Inc. What did you think we were going to talk about? Yeah. But it is a nevertheless a remarkable thing to take a dedicated lens or approach to talk about disability issues, especially when you consider the chaos of the pandemic. David, what have been your reflections about some of our programming? Do you feel that uh, the programming has reflected the concerns of Canadians with disabilities during COVID-19? Absolutely. And I think that is reflected in, in our live content and our, and our audio content, such as your show. So, for instance, you know, now at Dave Brown, we, we made that a priority for that one of the first shows to get up and running live again because it could deal with the issues of the day. It could deal with the mm-hmm. pandemic from the perspective of persons with disabilities. Uh, we, could, we could reach out across the country uh, with all of our contributors across the country. And I think that that was one of our greatest successes was, was being able to get that show up and running so that we could be on the pulse. Good, good, good pun there. Um, to, uh, <laughs> of, to, of, you know, kind of being a voice for persons with disabilities and a place for them to come get information specific to them and their needs during the pandemic. And uh, mm-hmm. that's probably one of our, our greatest achievements through this entire process. A lot of people don't realize that now with Dave Brown just launched, I believe, in February of 2020. And so here we are in the middle of a, a global pandemic, but we don't hold back at AMI. We, you know, we have a new show to launch. Argo, we launch the new show. Um, how are you feeling about now with Dave Brown now that it's, uh, you know, six months in, eight months in, 10 months in? I think that uh, we're thrilled with it to date. I'm thrilled with it for a couple of reasons. I think Dave is a great host. He's mm-hmm. a good broadcaster. He has broadcasting experience in his background. Uh, he's got a great voice and a great presence on air. Uh, he asks good questions. Um, and the show does a number of things. One, it, uh, it's immediate. It gives it information for the day of. So it's a kind of a perspective of what's happening in Canada the day of. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing it does is, uh, is all the contributors, the people who call into that show from across the country, it really allows us the opportunity to provide a regional perspective of what's happening in Canada mm-hmm. on a daily basis. So we're thrilled with the show. I think it, it plays a very, very vital role in what we do at AMI. 
um, with respect to covering issues of the day for persons with disabilities from a regional focus across Canada. Uh, and Dave's a great host. He's, he's a very, very good broadcaster. Um, we're very lucky mm-hmm. to have him. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I'm a huge Dave Brown fan, um, and it's worth mentioning that Dave used to be the host of The Pulse, so <laughs> uh, Dave <laughs> has uh, has worn a number of hats in his time at AMI. Yeah. Let's focus a bit about 2021. Now, I, I know you have this whole no-spoilers rule, uh, Dave Arrington, yeah. but uh, even so, without giving away too many specifics, are there any mm-hmm. projects or things in the works that you could hint at so that we have an idea of what to expect in the year to come? Well, I'm not going to give you exact examples, but our focus is really on creating original content. So mm-hmm. from AMI TV and AMI Tele, we've, uh, we have our, our, our flagship shows on AMI this week um, and Cinema Regard, who are kind of our magazine weekly shows. Um, they'll continue into next year. We're, we're producing close to 400, oh, sorry, 200 hours of original content. Um, on, on across the two services, so that's a lot of content. Uh, we have our commission programs, our shows, so you have some of your favorites coming back, um, like You Cannot Ask That, both in English and in French, or Employable mm-hmm. Me. And we have actually have some new shows um, in, in the lineup that we are announcing, and they'll be announced later this summer, early next fall. So I can't let the cat out of the bag on that. The marketing team will be <laughs> upset with me, but uh, we, our goal is to create as much content as possible, a lot of original content as possible, content that's relevant to the community that we serve, and content that we can own and push out across all of our platforms. So it can be on our, our website, it can be on our mobile app, it can be on our, our podcast, it can be on our audio show, it can be across all of the different venues that we offer our content on. That's right. The other significant development in 2020 is all the original podcasts that have been rolled out by yeah. people, voices new and familiar. So that's been really exciting to hear and see as well. One of the things that I reflect on, David, is the fact that AMI Audio has a long and storied history. And we are, in fact, celebrating our 30th anniversary. Tell us about it. It's a it's a big deal when a radio station turns 30. Well, it, it's been hard. So there are some some programs on the actual audio itself that's celebrating the, the uh, 30th anniversary of it. We've done some cross-promotion on our AMI-TV platform as well, so that's happening. But the evolution of the audio from, you know, back when it launched 30 years ago, it was strictly a reading service. So mm-hmm. we would have a, a room full of volunteers from all across the country, and they would come in and they would read the local stories from the local newspapers and and create audio files that then would be played on on the on the network or on the service itself so coming from that to where it is now where we have great shows like the pulse and now with dave brown and all the podcasts that are coming out of that it's a complete evolution we do some reading uh, of various magazines and things like the wallers and whatnot but it it has evolved to becoming a kind of a, a true broadcast content that's focused on disabilities from what it originally was intended to be was a reading service. So it's kind of come a complete 180. And uh, mm-hmm. the quality of the content is far better. The need for the content is out there. And uh, I can't wait to see what the future for AMI Audio is going to be. I know. It's, uh, it's exciting to contemplate what the next 30, 40, 50, 60 years is going to be look like for all of us. David Arrington, thank you so much for being on the program. It's been a lot of fun chatting with you. It was great catching up with you as well. Take care. That was David Arrington, President and CEO of Accessible Media Inc. He joined us from Toronto. If you missed any of my conversation with Dave Arrington, or if you wanted to go back and listen to what John Rafferty had to say in the first half of the program, you can find the podcast on your favorite podcast platforms.
I have a couple of thoughts for the end of the year. It's been quite a doozy. My last working day, uh, physically being in the office, was March 13th. And when I went home at the end of the day, I honestly thought I'd be coming back into the office on Monday. And things changed very quickly and very significantly, not just for me, but for a number of people. I want to thank you for being a part of this journey, for showing your appreciation for the pulse and for me. One of the things that I haven't really had a chance to talk about is that partway through the year, I also assume the role of the producer of the program. So not only do I host, but I also book the interviews and get the guests and hopefully bring you content that is relevant. So I really want to extend my heartfelt gratitude to you for your support of me and for all the work that we've been able to do over the last year. I want to also thank Nisreen Abdul-Majid, who's been the technical producer for The Pulse. Her work is valuable to the program because without her, quite frankly, we wouldn't be getting on air. But Nisreen is someone who is well known to the channel and has brought a lot, not only to this show, but to all the other ways in which she contributes to AMI-audio. So thank you, Nisreen. I'd like to thank John Rafferty and David Arrington for being my guests on the program. The technical producer for The Pulse is Nisreen Abdul-Majid. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio. Paula Deneen is our technical supervisor. You've been listening to The Pulse on AMI-audio. Have a happy holidays. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.